Well, this morning we're going to be completing uh, our series that we've been in for the last four weeks. Today will be part five of our series called God-Sized. God-Sized. In part one of this series, we, we talked about having a God-sized dream, that God ultimately has a dream for your life. We looked at the life of Joseph, and it took Joseph 22 years to see his dream come to fruition. And sometimes in that delay, we begin to doubt, but actually the delay of the dream is actually God developing you for the dream. In part two, we talked about having God-sized generosity, and ultimately, God calls us to be generous people because God is a generous God. Has he not been so generous to you? And so, and so part one, God-sized dream. Part two, we talked about God-sized generosity. Part three, we talked about having God-sized faith. God-sized faith. And, uh, and then last week, we talked about God-sized prayer. Having God-sized prayer. We said that God-sized prayer is trust in his power, we said that God-sized prayer is alignment to his purposes. We said that God-sized prayer is seeking wisdom in all things. So it's, it's the extraordinary and the ordinary is God-sized prayer. And ultimately, when we don't know how to pray, real prayer is right prayer. And we, we looked at some prayers from uh, David and Psalm and how raw and authentic his prayers were. And, and then we practiced a, um, a model of prayer that accomplishes all three of these things, and that is when we pray the word. Did that help anybody last week? Learning to pray the word is the best way to pray when you don't know what to say. Pray the word. And uh, today we're going to complete this, this five-part series, and we're going to talk about God-sized love. Aw. Yeah. God-sized love. I will have you know a few things this morning um, that I know, and, and, I, and I, I know that you want a pastor that is going to teach you and challenge you even if it's uncomfortable. Is that right? I thought that about you. And I thought that you would want to know not what I think, but maybe what the Bible says. I think you, that's right, isn't it? Come on, somebody. Okay. Uh, then... then Today, I have, I think, a unique challenge in teaching on the love of God because uh, it, it may not be as simple as we like it to be, and that the love of God is, is held in tension, and that the love of God isn't always comfortable, but the love of God is magnificent. And so I think I have a, a unique challenge today into trying in, in 30 minutes to, uh, you like that? In 30 minutes to teach the love of God. I probably need five weeks to do it, but we're going to try it in 30 minutes. So, so will I likely say something today where you're like, I need to know more about that. You likely will hear something that you'd be like, I need to hear more about that because I can't do it all today. I'll also tell you that today I'm going to use a lot of scripture, a lot more than I usually would. I do not apologize for that today, but I want to try to give you the full flavor profile of the love of God if I can, okay? So are you ready? And, uh, and so we're going to jump into today God-sized love. God is a God of love, isn't he? I think God's love is what has propelled you to be where you are today. God's love propelled our worship. God pro love, God's love propels our, 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 our generosity 
God's love is why you forget you're forgiven. God's love is why you've been redeemed. God's love is why you have purpose. God's love is why we have creation. God's love is why we're here. God is a God of love. He is. And, and, and there's a couple parts in Scripture that I felt like if we went to, it would be a great place to start in talking about the love of God. And the first, we're going to read all of Psalm 103, all of it, the whole chapter. And then we're going to go into one of my favorite books of the Bible, 1 John. Is one of my, I love 1 John. We're going to read some parts of 1 John. And so I want to do something else that's maybe a little bit unique this morning that we typically don't do. But I grew up, and this is how we did it, okay? This is how we did it when I grew up, and we're going to do it this morning. You ready? Let's stand for the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Psalm 103, if you have it in front of you, follow along. If you don't, it's on the screen. Uh, if you want to grab an orange Bible in front of you, Psalm 103. If you don't own a Bible, that orange Bible, put your name in it and take it home with you. That's yours, a gift to you from New Life Church. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And watch this, forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made his ways he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will uh, he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Somebody say amen. Amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. Don't stop there. For those who fear him. That's going to be an important part of this message. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are but dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone. And, it pl- and, and, it, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting... To everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and New Life Church say, praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. You may be seated. That's how we did it when I was growing up. (laughs) Unzip your Bible and let's stand for the Word of God. Psalm 103. What a powerful way to articulate the love of God. That He doesn't repay us. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but He offers this grace. I mean, such magnitude is the love of God. But three times in Psalm 103, it says, for those who fear him. And yet three other times in Psalm 103, it, it, it implies and mentions obedience. So the love of God, as magnificent and life-changing as it is, comes with expectations. I'm afraid that the reality of how marvelous the love of God is, it is true, it is marvelous, it, it, is, it, it will cover a, a, a countless sins. I'm afraid if we so focus on that one attribute, attribute of God's love that we can ultimately sometimes live with the license to keep living the way we want to live, knowing that God's love is unlimited. But it's not. It comes with expectation. It says, all these great benefits of God's love for those who fear him. In other words, to fear him is to revere him, is to surrender to him, is to follow his ways and not your ways. All of these great benefits are available to not just you and me, they're available to everyone who is willing first to submit their life to God. So you can't live your way and say, but God loves me just the way I am. Here's, here's what, the, all, throughout scripture, all throughout Scripture, before you, you think you're getting me wrong here, forgiveness is always free. Blessing follows obedience. I have to remind my children this sometimes. I'm like, listen, forgiveness is always free. I'll always forgive you. You, you want privileges? <laughs> you want my, your father's blessing? You want your father's money? Blessing follows obedience. Blessing's not free. Forgiveness is free. Blessing follows obedience. You don't have to earn the love of God. God loves you. The love of God forgives you. Will the love of God bless your life? If you fear him, if you revere him, if you're obedient to him. I'll love 1 John. 1 John speaks, articulates so well, again, the love of God. Listen to what it says, 1 John 3, 1. See what a great love the Father has, watch this, lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. God. 3.10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. This is how we know if you're a child of God or a child of the devil. Anyone who does not do right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. This is, I know, that feels heavy, 
We don't like that. We like the, ooh, lovey. Because now all of a sudden I feel like I'm maybe a little devilish sometimes. 1 John 3, 16. So then this is how we know what love is. Well, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4.10, so this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's kind of love made the first move. Have you ever made the first move and been rejected before? The one who takes the first move takes all the risk. I remember when I told Jenny I loved her for the first time. I don't think it's something that young people should use flippantly. I think that to express your love to someone is special and should be reserved for when you really are committed. And so I remember Jenny and I had been dating and, uh, for a while, and, uh, and I was like, I love this girl. And so one night, I sat her down. I read 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. I'm so holy, I know. <laughs> I read the whole thing. And then I said, Jennifer Lewis, what's her maiden name? I love you. And then I was so excited to tell her. But then after I said it, I was like, oh no. What if she's like, and you're okay too? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, like I like you, you know? I, I took a big risk, and a and, uh, and, uh, big risk, but also it was a big reward. God took a big risk to love you. He sent his son to die the death you deserved. Whether you would reject him or accept him, some will reject him, but yet he still died for them because he still loves sinners. You see, the general consensus on love, I'm afraid, is not a Christian one. The general consensus on God's love is God, God loves you just the way you are. God, God's love is unconditional. And, and we begin to condition our mind that there isn't an, an expectation for the love of God in our lives. So I want to show you five things the Bible says about love. Five things the Bible says about love. And you're like, wow, you usually do three. I know. <laughs> I promise I'll be fast. But the, the first one is this. When it comes to, to love, the, we, we see that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Isn't it so good to know that we serve a God, that we have a Godhead of love, that Jesus ha shows us an example of love, that God shows us an example of love. John 3, 35 says, the father loves the son. Speaking of God and Jesus, 
The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Well, God's wrath will remain on people, but God loves people. Yes. John 5.20, for the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. John 14.31, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. This is Jesus speaking, that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So when we first talk about love, we see that the Father loves the Son. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves the Father. And the second is that God loves his creation. God loves his creation. Um, he, he loves the trees. He loves the fairways and greens. Come on, the presence of God is out there. I know a lot of men that they're like, you know what? I feel God the most when I'm in a tree stand in the woods. In the cold, in the early morning, with my shotgun, and I'm like, the only thing I feel out there is cold. <laughs> God loves his creation. Genesis 1, God continues to say, it was good. He calls it good. And on that day, it was good. Sky, good. Ground, good. Sun, good. He calls it good. He's pleased with it. Matthew 6 talks about how God loves creation so much that the birds in the air, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Animals all around the world, all think about it, animals all around the world just ate and they don't know when they'll eat again. But God does. He feeds them. Jesus points this out to say that if God loves the birds that much, won't he also take care of you? He will. Look at the fields. There, God clothes the fields with flowers. Won't he clothe you too? So yes, God loves creation. But three, God loves the world. The world. And uh, when God loves the world. And you, you know the scripture. You know where I'm going with this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This word here, world, used all throughout the book of the Gospel of John, it, 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 it's the big bad world is what it's referring to. It's, it's, the, it's the evil. It's, it's the big bad world. Yeah, God so loved the big bad world that he sent his son so he could have his church. So God loves the world. I also want you to know that, that God also stands in judgment of the world, but invites rebellious people to repent. Okay? God stands in judgment of the world, but invites rebellious people to repent. Watch this in Ezekiel chapter 33. Say to them, as I, have, as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the Lord speaking. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Watch this. He says, 
Turn. Turn, 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 turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? Why die? Why die? Just turn. Therefore, son of man, say to your people, if someone who is righteous disobeys, their former righteousness will count for nothing. And if someone who is wicked repents or turns, that person's former wickedness will not bring condemnation. The righteous person who sins will not be allowed to live even though they were formerly righteous. And as hard as that seems to some, that is the love of God. Why die? Turn. Turn or, or, or repent. Repentance is a turning from our ways in towards God. God loves the world. Number four, Christ loves the church. The church is the body of Christ, a.k.a. the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the bride. He loves the church. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, but number five, number five, God's love is provisional based on obedience. This is where maybe we would, we would say, oh, God's love is unconditional. Yes, if you mean that you can't clean yourself up before you go to God. There is no condition to the love of God other than repentance. That's the one condition. So is it unconditional? It's unconditional in the sense that anyone can come to God. But it's conditional and it's provisional based upon obedience. And, and I, I, I just don't know if we teach that enough. Because when you read about the love of God all throughout Scripture, that's why I'm trying to give you a full flavor profile from all over the Bible on the love of God, he continues to connect it to obedience and he continues to connect it to revering God and remaining in him and following him. God's love is provisional based on obedience. John 15, 9, this is what it says, and as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so I loved you, and this is what Jesus says, now remain in my love. Hold up. So to remain in the love of Jesus means you could actually also leave the love of Jesus. But God is love. God is love. God's love is huge. God's love is big. God lavishes his love on us. But Jesus says, remain in my love. What question do you have now? How do I remain? Right? I don't know about you. I read that and I'm like, well, shoot. I want to remain in the love of God. How do I remain? That's a great question. We should just read one more verse. <laughs> and it says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his. You see, the love of God is provisional based upon obedience. And really, is it is it that bad of a deal? Is it really that bad of a deal when God says, here is the best way to live? 
And you will be blessed going in and blessed going out. You will be, you will be the lender, not the borrower. And then we say, well, I'd actually keep it my way, but keep also can I keep all the benefits of your love at the same time? Hmm. So again, here are the five things on uh, here are the, the five things the Bible says about God's love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Two, God loves his creation. Three, God loves the big bad world. And four, God loves the church. And five, God's love is provisional based on obedience. And I want to give you all those five in case you're taking notes and you missed some of them. So there's, there, there's five things. Now, now what I ha- have come to learn, and I, maybe you've learned it too, is that truth is always held in some kind of tension. It's always held in some kind of tension. Like a tent with, with, the, with the tent uh, uh, pegs stretch the tent so that it can stand. These five things that, I, that we're talking about each pull a different corner of the tent that makes the love of God stand on its own. Okay, If you overemphasize one part of that tension, you will actually end up with, with a, a different ideology, a different theology of the love of God that is true but false if it's by itself. Is this helping you? Is this making sense? We're going a little deeper today. So like tent pegs, these five things pull a corner that make the tent stand. And so I want to just address these five tension points, which are based upon the five things we just talked about, and how each of them create tension, that we, what we, we need is we, we need all five things to, to pull the tent in tension to stand up under the love of God. And, and then the first one is this, is if we overemphasize the love between the Father and the Son, in other words, if we overemphasize the love in the Godhead, well, then we, it causes us to miss how God also loves sinners. So, so, because the reality is, God does love sinners. The worst of them. He loves them. His love also compel, should compel us, compel sinners to turn. Because why die? Turn. So overemphasizing the love in the Godhead would cause us to forget that God also loves the big bad world, sinners. Number two, if we overemphasize uh, overemphasis on God's sovereignty over all creation makes him a force and then impersonal. But God is not just the force. He is personal. He is interested in the intricate details of your life. You're not just, you're just not a, a pawn in his plan. You're not just a, a, a machine he created and, and it sits on that side of the garage. No, he, he has a great love for creation. Although, yes, he's sovereign, but he is also personal. But number three, overemphasis on the big bad world makes God a lovesick boyfriend. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Listen, I don't think you're that big of a deal. God doesn't need you. He's God. You're dust that he breathed on. He's, he doesn't need you. But man, are we lucky that he wants us. 
and we need him. And unfortunately, not everybody wants him. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. We need God, but not everybody wants him. So overemphasis on God loves sinners, God loves sinners, makes him out to be this lovesick boyfriend. If I need you, I need you. He doesn't need us, but he does want us. We have to remember, he's not the lovesick boyfriend. He's a king with authority. And God doesn't need us, he wants us. So, so many are lost and needing saving, and God loves them. He loves them. But he's not a lovesick boyfriend. He's a king with authority. He did everything he could. He bankrupt heaven to save the big bad world. Everything. He gave his son. You either need to accept that or reject it. He doesn't need it, but he wants it. Okay. Number four, overemphasis on Christ's love for the church creates a group of elitists we're the ones going to heaven, and they're the ones going to hell. We're the church. Uh, it generates this elect mindset, ultimately, of a religious pride. We're the church. Christ loves the church. And then it causes the, bi- the big, strong, loved church to actually overlook the hurting and the oppressed because they have this religious elite mindset that they are God's chosen one. So it's true Christ loves the church, but the overemphasis on that particular part of the tension causes religious pride. And number five, overemphasis on love tied to obedience creates a merit-based thinking or legalism a following of the rules in order to be loved by God. Legalism. Now, all five of these things can be true, but they're held in tension. And this is the love of God. And so, um, I I want to maybe take just a couple more minutes. Who will give me one more minute? Who will give me one more minute? One, two, three, four. Okay, that's 25 more minutes. It won't be that long. It's okay. I want to look at maybe some things that are myths about the love of God or misunderstandings of the love of God. You want to do that real quick? Okay, number one, God's love is not unconditional. God's love is not unconditional. We can remain in God's wrath if we reject his son. That's that's not unconditional. That's conditional upon turning, repentance. And then you enjoy all the benefits we read in Psalm 103. I understand when we say God's love is unconditional, if we're saying it's not by works, it's by faith. You're right, but it's still conditional upon that faith, okay? When we tell people God's love is unconditional, unfortunately, some misunderstand. We say it out of good intention, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I've said that before. We should never say that again. No, I, I know we say it out of good intention, 
But how it's comprehended is, oh, it's unconditional. I can keep doing what I'm doing. Now, what you're doing is offensive to God. You see, we have to remember something here. That God is, is three things. God is holy first. And he is just. And he is love. And so if we want to take, so sometimes if you only take the holiness lens out, you know, you get, you, you, you don't get God. It's all intention. But if we really look at scripture, we'll see that the lens of God's holiness is about this big, okay? And then we, we, we can look through the lens based on scripture and the amount of scripture and, and the emphasis, the emphasis on God's love and that lens. And so if we, if we want to look through both lenses of his holiness and his love, it doesn't seem equal. So how do you look through both lenses then and come out with the right perspective? Well, you look through the holiness lens and then you look through the love lens this way. So we look through, we, we, we see through the lens of God's love through his holiness. God is holy. Like, he hates sin. It is, it is, has, it is no part of God. There's no darkness in light. And so uh, the overemphasis uh, so, so God's love is not unconditional. It's conditional upon faith and repentance and obedience, and then you get all the benefits. But forgiveness is always free. Don't forget that, so don't misunderstand me. Uh, uh, he loves those who receive his son. You know who God loves more than you and me? His son. God loves Jesus more than you and me. And until you place your faith in Jesus... The scripture says this, that when you place your faith in Jesus, Christ clothes you in his righteousness. Do you know what your righteousness is? Scripture says your righteousness, your best day is dirty underwear. It's filthy rags. That's your best day. And we want to be accepted by a holy God. So, we need Jesus. When we come to Jesus, there's this great transaction. Our filthy rags, and he clothes us in his righteousness. And now, the father that loves that son so much sees us wrapped in the righteousness of his son. And he says, I see my son on him. I, I love them. I see my son on her. Oh, you get all my benefits, all my benefits. Oh, I see my son on them. You get all my benefits. Unconditional love, well, it's, I, I say it's conditional upon what are you wearing? Are you wrapped in the righteousness of God? Or are you wrapped in your own self-righteousness, which is actually filthy? Okay, I hope that helped somebody and I didn't confuse you. God's love will give discipline for reckless behavior. Sometimes it's the love of God that says no. Parents, help me here. Sometimes it's the love of a parent that says no to a child. And in that child's immaturity, they say, you don't love me. And likewise, grown adults who have served God for decades, when God says no, you say, he doesn't like me. God of love. Sometimes God says no, because God's love will give discipline for reckless 
behavior. You can be saved and experience the wrath of God if you're disobedient. Acts 5, the birth of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, they bring an offering. It didn't go well, if you've read the story. Okay. Because God is angered by sin. We can't forget this. We can't forget that the gravity of sin, he is angered by it because he's holy. And when people who claim to follow him continue in sin and harm others, it angers God. And it's the love of God that will cause discipline or consequence. It's the love of God. So, hope that helps you. Also, God, <laughs> God does not love you just the way you are. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he doesn't love you just the way you are. And, and, and people with good intentions have been saying this because they're trying to articulate how wonderful the love of God is. But listen, once upon a time, my mom received a phone call from the assistant principal at my high school of whom's office I was currently sitting in for some reckless behavior that I had portrayed that day. When she showed up, she did not love me the way I was. And when God found me, he didn't love me the way I was. But he loved me. But he didn't love me the way I was. For us to say God loves you just the way you are is a disservice to the price God paid to change the way you are. God doesn't love you just the way you are. I would say this, that God loves you despite the way you are. He loves you despite the way you are. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. If we understood what God did because he wants you to stay that way, I think would be a disservice to the blood of Jesus. So God doesn't love you just the way you are. But he loves you despite you. And he's calling you to turn. And in doing so, following in obedience, you will reap all these benefits. Well, if God's love is so great and so grand, maybe you've heard this before, why does a God of love send people to hell? Is he really a loving God if he's going to let people be tortured for eternity? This is what I always say. God sent Jesus as a message. And the message is simply this, and forgive me if this is a little too forward. But the message is this. Go to hell over my dead body. You will have to reject my son to go to hell. What an act of love that is.
So how does a loving God send people to hell over his dead body? Because he died to rescue you from that pit. Only you can accept it. God-sized love. It's enormous. And it comes with expectation that we remain in his love. Remain. Let's stand together. We don't have time to sing because I'm hungry. (laughs) And I think you are too. But I don't want to leave before we respond in some way. Um, Thank you for giving me a couple extra minutes, those of you. I didn't use all 25 of them. But this morning, uh, I I just want you to respond in your own way. Maybe, Maybe someone today, something, I hope my job is to challenge you. And I'm not trying to challenge you. I'm just trying to let the word of God challenge you. I think a good sermon is one that is wrestled with throughout the week. I hope that you found something that you can go wrestle with this week and really think about. But moreover, I think that we should offer an opportunity right now. Maybe we could just get a pad in the background or something. There we go. Give you an opportunity right now to do just what God is calling all of humanity to do, and that is to turn. We just need to take a moment, 60 seconds, and repent. Repent. If you just bow your heads, close your eyes. Just you, just God. You're not standing before me. You're not going to confess anything out loud. Just you, just God. What do you need to repent of? Forgiveness is free. And if you walk in obedience, blessing will follow. So God, we just, right now, Holy Spirit, would you just even enlighten us to things that we need to repent of? A way we've been talking, a way we've been living, a habit we haven't broken yet. Anger, jealousy, rage, impatience, lying, cheating, overspending, things we're looking at we shouldn't be, things we're, ways we're living we shouldn't be. God, we repent. We know that these things disgust you. Our best days filthy, and I, we, I just ask God that you, you would just forgive freely this morning, that people would be wrapped in the righteousness of God and give us the strength and courage to continue and we, to walk in your ways. And we will stumble and we will fall, but we want to continue to be humble and live in repentance to remain in your love, but also that your love remains in us and we show it to the world. So God, I just pray that you just help put one thing in our hearts that we will wrestle with this week. And I'm so grateful for the love of God that you have lavished on us. It is the reason why we are living and have breath and have this day is because of your love. Forgive us when we have taken advantage of it, but God, may we be transformed by it to continue to show other people how transformative your love is. In Jesus' name, amen.